Hey, Naomi Thomas, good evening. Hey, I can hear you, man. I'm a little bit, I'm, I'll be back in five, ten minutes, but I can hear you well. Okay, perfect. Nam was probably just on a bus, so I uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't overreact to that. Hey, you guys aren't waiting for me, right? Because uh, go ahead. Don't wait for me. Alrighty. <clears throat> we'll get started. And hopefully people will join in from uh, the supporters group and also from elsewhere. So uh, I'll count us down. And... Uh, so I can cut off the episode there and start it there. All right, so we will be good to begin. Sorry, I'm just doing something with the standing so I can make sure I know I'm talking about when we get to that. Um, and quick run through, quick uh, table of contents. We're going to start with kind of how the month of July is going. Uh, we're going to talk about the U21 minutes. We're going to look at the CPL league transfers. Uh, we're going to look at possible ownership rumors uh, and our partnership with Genoa. Uh, we're going to look at midseason MVPs, and we're going to talk about the FIFA Women's World Cup. I have to write that one down so I don't miss it at the end. All right, <laughs> let's start the episode in three. What up? Yo, uh, Jason, yep. I'd yep. suggest talk about the Women's World Cup first, then get into all the other stuff after. That's my suggestion for you, okay? All right, yeah. Okay, um, then I'm going to take a couple seconds to bring up the group standings. Give me one sec. 
Beauty of Live Shows. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, everyone, for uh, for joining in. We're actually going to start the episode in about 30 seconds. <laughs> Let me bring up some, uh, some of the things we're going to talk about there, so I'm not Googling during the episode, unlike the other times, but of course that's going to eventually happen, I'm sure. All right, All right. Uh, I'll count us down. We're going to get started in three, two, one. Hey, good evening, and welcome to the fourth episode of Shoes Off for the Blue and Green, a York United supporters chat where we chat all things York United, some things Canada soccer, and we're getting started off with a couple of co-hosts here. Um, Start us off, I am York supporters, but I also got with me Namu. What's going on, Namu? Hey, what's up, guys? And also with us, we got Thomas. How's it going, Thomas? I'm, I'm doing really nice. I'm doing really well, thanks. Uh, how are you doing? Good, good, good. Yeah, I'm doing good after. We are going to get right into the first topic right away because it's exciting. It's going on right now. We're um, about seven days into it now, about a week into it. The 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup is where we'll start today's episode because we got to shout out the Canadian, uh, the uh, Canadian women's national team on their two to one victory yesterday over Ireland, who gave us a scare with that very early goal on the Olympico. I uh, just had a rough feeling to the start of the match when you saw the. Uh, the Ireland attack going, uh, and that lasted throughout almost the entire first half. And then, uh, just as the, the first half was just about to end, a, a very, very impactful time to score. Any time to score in a game is impactful, of course, but I think right before the intermission there is always something that'll uh, be on your mind as you go into the halftime break kind of thing and change how it goes. Then we see a few smart substitutions. We see one of Canada, in my opinion, Canada's MVPs so far, Sophie Schmidt, come on for the um, much of the second half as she did in the first game as well. And Canada gets their uh, goal with uh, Adriana Leon uh, scoring a goal after the first half own goal from a Julia Gross across with lots of Canadian players in the, the area there. So that takes Canada to second in the, in the table after an upset game, a really exciting one that I watched this morning, um, Australia versus uh, Nigeria. That one finished two to three, although for much of the second half, it was, um, it was Nigeria in the lead for that one. Um, after uh, both teams uh, scored super late in the first half, which is exciting there. So Nigeria and Canada both on four points, Australia on three points, Ireland on zero points. Ireland will play Nigeria with not much to play for other than, you know, pride in getting your first points versus Canada and Australia will be a game that, that could be tough for Canada with Sam Kerr possibly coming back, but I think Canada will hold it in cuff. So talking about Group B and Canada, uh, Thomas Renemu, want to get us started? Um, yeah, sure. Um, it's, uh, I think, although, like, Australia, uh, they played wild game against Nigeria, it was, it was very close. So 
I think having them as the last match, it it could have kind of gone two ways. Either, you know, the like the the maybe the uneducated fan would maybe say that like, okay, it's just gonna be a battle for first in the group, but instead it's actually a battle to get out of the group. Um which I think going up against Australia is probably not a good situation for Canada just because, you know, we still can't forget they're going to obviously be on home turf in Adelaide with, like, or sorry, in, um, in Melbourne with, like, such a strong sporting culture. I think it does help that it's a smaller stadium, maybe. Um, but the Matildas fans will definitely have an effect. And I think Kerr coming back, Although you never kind of really know how a player is going to return from injury, Kerr is the type of player that will immediately bounce back and get someone inside for Canada. And for a defense that was a bit more shaky than we're used to against Ireland, I think it, it is a bit worrying if you're going to have Ford, Kerr, and Catley going at you, as well as all the other talent Australia have, because I just think Canada were um, in that last match. I just think they were a bit sleepy maybe. I think they needed to be woken up by me and the Katie McCabe goal was maybe a bit too early for them to be woken up because it still took, you know, another 20 minutes for them to really get stuck into the match. But um, hopefully in the midweek, uh, Buchanan returns from, looks like she's sustained an injury. Same with Jade Riviere. And ideally you have those two back so you can go in with the best defense possible because it's going to be needed to get out of the group. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really well said. Uh, Canada's um, kind of positioning and their player choices have been uh, it, it's been kind of interesting and refreshing in a way. I was someone that was a little bit like, "Hey, why are you taking off Julia Grosso to start the second half? She just caused the goal. What's going on?" But once again, Sinclair and Sophie Schmidt like showed you why you subbed them in because of how well they played. Um, and, uh, yeah, Rivera's been pretty good, I think, on, on the ball a lot. I think Quinn has been uh, fantastic as the number six. I think as, as the only number six you need, like, it, it's nice to just have the, the one pivot there. And then the other two uh, midfielders can be a bit more attacking, which I think suits Julia Grosso a little bit more. And, obviously, when you're going to have a number 10, whether it be Sinclair, um not entirely sure. I'm afraid of uh, hopefully someone. Jesse Fleming. I think she plays all over the park, but I don't know if she's more defensive as well. But great to see her start after. Um, I was actually listening to Footy Prime, uh, the broadcast with all the, the former uh, national team players, where they were talking about um, uh, just again the other day about like, oh no, we're not going to have Fleming until maybe the end of the group stage if that i think she's had a speedy recovery um to get in there or it could have been a desperation start where maybe you're not feeling 100 percent, but you're a, a key play key, key player one of the key young players uh fleming is so, so just wanting to to get her in there as well um i think defense has been really solid i think that's the strength of canada as well and um the uh i don't know if i'd say the goal was a hundred percent Sheridan's fault because when you watch it on replay, you're like, "Oh, could he have gotten it?" But it had a per, almost a near perfect placement to hit it, kind of in a corner, in a place that's hard to get. And on the other hand, you, you kind of should have a player at that post and 
some situations. But anyway, Canada comes back with the uh, tying goal in the right at the end of additional time, which has definitely been a theme uh, all around the, the World uh, Cup so far is uh, goals in additional time there. Um, okay, so we'll talk about just kind of what's going on in the other groups there uh, a little bit briefly because there are eight groups to get through because this isn't an expanded World Cup, which is exciting to see. Um, so Group A, so everyone's pretty much played either two games or, or one game. So Group A's got the other host, New Zealand. They're right in the middle of the table along with Philippines on three points. Switzerland leads the group with four, and Norway's way down with one. I think that surprises some people there, and I think it's what's interesting with the group stage, I always find a group stage interesting, is it could go down to, like we're seeing with Canada versus Australia, you might have a strong team that's look that's from the third or fourth position looking at a must win game. So that group, I'm just going to kind of go through all the groups and you, uh, you know, you guys can just say anything that like is interesting to you there. So that's group a, uh, group B, we already went over that's Canada's group, but again, that's, uh, Nigeria on four points, Canada and Australia, or sorry, Nigeria and Canada on four points, Australia on three and Ireland at zero. Uh, speaking of zero points in group C, uh, not much to talk about there other than the dominance of Spain and Japan, who both have six points, uh, and are through to the knockout stage in Costa Rica and Zambia, unfortunately for them, are eliminated, uh, Zambia going down uh, 5-0 both times. So, um, I mean, but, you know, you got to be excited to have your debut, and both those uh, teams with no points will take each other on in a fun game on the 31st, so in a few days from now. Um, an intriguing group with a game tomorrow, um, or I guess overnight tonight, is uh, Group D has Denmark and England with one game played, both three points, so tied to lead the group. And then China and Haiti on uh, zero points at the bottom of the group. So England plays Denmark. So one of those teams will have uh, six points, or if it's a draw, we'll be have, having uh, two four-point teams, and then maybe one of Haiti or China could... Uh, win their game, and then be looking at a way to, to try to get through the next round there. Um, quickly to Group E, the, this team uh, won last night, or, or sorry, these teams played last uh, night where the United States tied Netherlands in another pretty exciting game. That was a 1-1 game with uh, Lindsay Horn getting that uh, header after beefing with her teammate uh, before, which is f- funny to see. Um, so United States and Netherlands both on th- this uh table is structured exactly like group b which is our group united states and netherlands both on four points portugal on three and vietnam on zero uh vietnam held it down there against usa only losing three nil because people were talking about uh usa i think thailand from the last world cup where is that 13 not not have not happening to vietnam they really held their own there and uh kept it close other than a couple of sophia smith goals group f uh, only one game played here. That's Brazil on three points. France tied Jamaica, so they're on one point. And Panama with zero. Group G has Sweden and Italy, both on three points. South Africa and Argentina on zero. But in about half an hour, that South uh, Africa-Argentina game is going to kick off. Um, and finally, Group H has Germany and Colombia on three points. South Korea and Morocco currently on zero points points i did say a lot of teams there but what sticks out to either of you as we finish off our section on the world cup um well i think there's there's 
two groups that I really, I think I'm going to find, uh, we're going to find, like, interesting. There's Group D, that's the England group. Um, because I think, to be honest, like, although China maybe weren't the best against Denmark in terms of it probably could have been more than just the one nothing, and Denmark probably could have definitely scored before um, they did. I think, you'd like, you still look at them, the Asian champions, I think they could still get out of it, especially if England kind of leaves everyone in the dust, which maybe might not happen. Like, Haiti were in all, Haiti were partly incredible, but England did not look themselves um, in that game against Haiti. They were, they need to change things up. I think that starts with putting Rachel Daly in for Alessia Russo, but um, they need to kind of switch things up. They need to um, definitely get some more, some better service. And then Group F, I think is really interesting. Jamaica drawing France is absolutely huge um, because it's, it does leave the door open for Jamaica to sneak in. I don't, I don't think Panama will. Um, the Jamaica versus Panama game is going to be very interesting. That's this match week, and Brazil playing France will also be um, monumental because France could probably beat Brazil, but uh, we'll have to see. And I think that might be the most intriguing group at the moment. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, awesome, Thomas. I uh, really agree with you that the um, the uh, I'm thinking of which one to start with there, but the the I'd say the draw France and Jamaica is probably my most shocking result. Even even if there's been other ones, even I mean Canada and Nigeria surprised me a little bit, or just other ones kind of throughout um, the uh, the uh, sorry the uh, other ones throughout the tournament so far have been shocking. But that was one to me where you just kind of expected France to score. If I'm not mistaken, they put the ball in two or three times that were called offside. I think that was the game where they they were kind of doing pretty well. And then Brazil does Brazil things. And in front of kind of a smaller crowd in Adelaide of 13,000, unfortunately, I think uh, Australia's really been loving the World Cup. But I think in New Zealand, they've had a little bit um, of kind of York United's struggles of fans and seats kind of thing. But uh, Brazil won 4-0 in their group, and that France-Brazil game will be exciting. I need to get a little bit better at translating my times because a lot of the games are hard to see um, if you're not really a, a early bird uh, morning person. But, I mean, for Canada versus Australia, I will have to be pretty quickly. Um, I, sorry, I, just, I like yeah. how you start, like... Um... You know, we're about a week into this tournament. Just because it isn't is it, it is in Australia, it's probably like six days in in some places, eight days in in other places, one week ish in here. Like it's just it's all over the place, and it's nuts. But it is fun. I think just uh, like uh, PVRing like the games and just watching them later, and it's a good reason to you know be off social media for the day. Yeah, I. Uh... I just I wish I could watch a few more games kind of live, but I do just catch them on the replay. And uh, what I've been doing lately is like, wait, if there's like a six o'clock game, and if I'm up at like seven or seven thirty, 
just rewind a little bit, check out the starting lineups, and just kind of scroll through and try to look for if the score changes. I just zoom it back a little bit and try to 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 rewatch. And then other games I watch like the the highlights. TSN might not uh, really give the uh, Canadian Premier League uh, their slice, but I do enjoy a lot of their coverage for. Um, for the World Cups, I will say, I, yeah. I will, I will give them that. I had uh, one comment for you, all of us, uh, all of us listening in, that uh, Thomas has been uh, my go-to guy for analysis on the Women's World Cup uh, right now, so far. So uh, his Twitter man, like uh, he'll give you like uh, these like good bullet-sized uh, summaries of the games and like what's going on and all that. So I totally suggest uh, anybody here interested in. Uh, uh, just kind of following the, the tournament, like give his uh, Twitter uh, a look and a follow for sure. Thomas Hood right here, all right? Thank <laughs> it's, you. it's good stuff. <laughs> do it. Yeah, give uh, support Thomas. He's uh, going to do big things. I, I, I don't even want to say like, oh, one day, because like he's already crushing it and interviewing uh, some pretty big names and uh, and doing really well to represent the uh, the sporting canis. So we appreciate having you on here. And I, and I agree, like, you do have a lot of knowledge on this. And I I, uh, I honestly set out to, to for that to be a goal of mine because back in 2015, even though I did follow, you know, I followed the sport, like I watched the English Premier League, MLS, and Champions League and stuff. I did miss out on the opportunity to see any uh, games when uh, they were here in the country. So I hope to not make the same mistake next time there are a few more games there. And I think it starts with, uh, if you haven't followed any of the World Cup, hopefully you got learned a little uh, thing or two from that little thing there. Or... Uh, um, have already watched uh, a few of the games and know a lot more than us. So it is enjoyable, and we'll keep following it from there. But now we'll shift and go to CPL. We're going to look at the Canadian Premier League, and we're going to look at our very own York United, who in July, because this kind of turns into a July recap or a monthly recap, we are two wins, one draw, one loss, and one game yet to be played on Sunday, which will be a home game at York Lions Stadium. Now, the uh, wins were both 2-1. to one. The draw was scoreless against the league leaders, which was pretty nice. The loss was 0-4 to four against Forge in front of... Uh, like in front of our home fans, including myself. And that, that game, again, was just... They kind of were close at parts, but then when you get a goal like that kind of deflection, I don't, I don't think it was an own goal. I think Ford just got credited with it. But basically that, Karen Campbell getting a hat trick, and he seems to have our, our number pretty bad. And I was telling people before the game on that Forge one, we do really well when we visit them. But when they visit us, it seems to be a different story. Now, I think that's reflective of the team right now. I think York is second, if I'm not mistaken, or, or top three in road points, uh, but really, really poor. And I think last or second last in, in, in like home goals. Like we just have totally different records. Uh, someone that's gone to all the games except one. I've gone home from a lot of them seeing just a, a draw or a loss, unfortunately. Um, we did have an exciting win uh, against Cavalry in the game that Bias scored. That Pride game was awesome to see the win against Ottawa. But um, 
haven't seen them win at home this month. Both of their wins were on the road. We visited Vancouver FC with goals for uh, by Osama Alu and Osaze Di Rosario, both of their second goals of the season. Um, and there's a, three of our guys, Bayav G and uh, Ganyan Lapre, making the team of the week that week. Um, the week after that was the uh, game that I don't know if we want to speak about it much more um, when we lost 4 nil to Forge. Um, brought someone to that game and was trying to tell them that that wasn't York all the time. Uh, next game was against Pacific FC where Nico put on a show taking home Gatorade performance of the match. The CanPL.ca uh, writers uh, performed some matches on the team of the week and he was voted our uh, supporters player of the match as well. So good job for Nico for securing the point there. And final game to recap is Austin Ricci going to IG Field and doing Austin Ricci things. Scoring a goal, fourth minute. That's his first goal of the season, believe it or not. He did get that goal against Vancouver Whitecaps in the uh, Voyagers Cup as well. But that's his first league goal. And then Osaze scores in that one as well. So Osaze Diorzerio has two game-winning goals this month um, for his second and third goals of the season. So hopefully he gets cooking. Uh, And Austin Ricci, once again, was recognized by... Uh, the league on KPL.ca as a, um, as well as the Gatorade performance of the match and the team of the week, which Max Ferrari made as well. This is an exclusive for uh, the listeners of Shoes Out for the Blue and Green. The winner of the player of the week for the game we just had was the debutante, Trevine Esprit, um, who had 40-something votes on Instagram, so a lot of support there. So, <laughs> what are we talking Yeah. Some of the people with the same last name as him. <laughs> so my daughter's asking why I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's the 44 votes because uh, me and Naomi we talked many times about this happening with the Zatoras last year, where somewhere he'd win by like 50 votes, and I'd be like, "Well, you know, all the family support there." So that definitely happened. We got the, the breaking news on number 37 in the player of the week. But, um, Namu, what are your thoughts on July on any of our four games so far? <laughs> I guess I'll start with that last one because that was really funny. <laughs> you know, uh, I think, like, we all tried to watch uh, Trevin closely for that game because, you know, like, we've been talking about the U21 nonstop this season, right? So we're wondering if this guy can come in and uh, kind of like uh, get the minutes that uh, Marky could have got without the uh, the injury or the uh, the minutes that we want uh, Elias to get and such, right? So we're watching him closely. Um, you know, like I think he looked um, he looked like he kind of fit in, but it's not like kind of like he set the world alight or like anything like that either. He was uh, serviceable, and you know, like good for him. Like uh, you know, big congrats to him for like making the step up and all that. Um, I guess I'll I guess I'll leave it there. You know, I, I do laugh at the uh, the the man of the match vote. I mean, like we do have like a guy who got his uh, you know goal and assist and all that, right? So maybe we might have to you know give it to him perhaps. But you know what? Uh, it's so great that all the votes came out and all that. So you know, big congrats to Trevin for sure. Um, my comment, the the main comment that I wanted to make was about the the Forge game because I always for me, uh, when I analyze these games, I feel like you, like no, not you, like you know us. We learn more about our team from our losses 
than we do from our wins. Because, you know, in the wins, you know, like everything went right. You know, the guys uh, uh, who we want uh, to perform, you know, they perform well. Like, you know, things go well and that's why we get the wins, right? But in the losses, that's where you kind of like really think, hey, what happened there? Like, you know, why did we uh, concede four, four goals? Like, what happened with our play, right? And for me, what I saw in that game versus Forge, well, like, you know, like, uh, first of all, like, Jason, you called it. Like, you know, like, for some reason, the away team always gets the upper hand in these uh, derbies. So we got, a, we got a, I think, like, a away date in Hamilton coming up in a week or two. So we got to get that one back for sure. But uh, I want to say, like, uh, Michael Pertasso, like, he's a guy that I've been defending for a long time. And I thought he was, like, uh, one of our most important players uh, two years ago. I thought he was uh, lucky with uh, injuries last year. I thought he's been pretty good as a sub this year. But he had a really poor outing versus Forge. He was trying to do too much. He was trying to take on way too many defenders at once. He wasn't using his uh, he wasn't using his head. He wasn't using his brain. You gotta recognize as a winger when there's like two or three defenders crowding you, because then you know there's gonna be somebody else around you that's gonna be open, right? And he couldn't recognize that fast enough, and he keep dribbling dribbling in into double team or triple team coverage. And I feel like that's where we kind of like lost the ball way too often, and we gave up a lot of counters. And we you know it's a possession game at the end of the day. You know, like it's a, it's a, you know, like if you're giving them more chances, then chances are that they're gonna get more goals, right? I feel like that's what I learned, uh, gleaned the most out of this team for July. All right, uh, I'll give it to Thomas uh, for his thoughts. I think about like Patrasso for me is a bit of the opposite. I'm actually every week if he's in the team, and I think he's been. He's been injured maybe recently. Um, so, but I am consistently pretty impressed by him. And I think in that Forge game, it was sort of that Forge game. All the players were pretty like lackadaisical. You know, they were pretty. They were very out of it in that game. And I thought he was kind of the only one in it, which is why, um, which is why I was kind of impressed by him because he did go for it and you're you're totally right like he did make the wrong decisions in like with dribbling but he also was kind of the only one making an effort and he didn't really have many runners and I'm just checking now he does have a quad injury um which is keeping him out but um about a spree I think you wouldn't even have to watch him because personally I thought he stood out a lot I think I, I might have said it before on the show. I'm not totally sure, but I, if I said it before, I will say it again. And if I haven't said it before, this will be my hot take for the day. I think it's time that Mo Bully exits the starting 11. And I say that because I don't think that he's kind of keeping up to pace. And I think... One of our issues, in my opinion, is that we do have too many wingers because I think in that uh, Valor game, we saw Dos Santos in the 10 position and it just did not work at all. But if Alou is in that 10 role, I think he brings so much more than Babuli because I think he's he's totally a spark. But when uh, in that Pacific game, like I was watching him a lot and he had great interplay between him and Dos Santos and he gets the ball around. I think what Babuli does is... He knows he can get the long shot, so he goes for the long shot. But I think Alou kind of operates as a 10 in terms of getting people the ball in, instead of getting him chances. And I think also 
we're starting to see maybe le- a lot less injuries in the holding midfield um, with like Sumaro, uh, Baldissimo, Adekogbe, Gennon Lapre. If they're all fit, there's no reason why Alou should still be relegated from the 10 position. I think a spread out wide, honestly, I think maybe he could play as a 10 or even as a holding midfielder because he was doing some some good defensive work too and covering for players when they make a run and he try a long ball. So I just think that there's so many options other than Babuli that are arguably better better for this team. And uh, I'll just dive back in because uh, Thomas gave uh, us a lot of like really interesting points to think about. Um, that said, you know, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure if I'm going to, uh, you know, give him, uh, <laughs> I'll do give him that he's looking for, <laughs> but no, really, like really fascinating points that you raised. Okay. Okay. I'll go, I'll start, I'll go back to Petrasa first. Cause you know, for that game, I hear you that he was trying his best that nobody can doubt. Cause you know, like I said, I, I've loved this guy. Like, you know, I've loved this guy like uh, since two years ago, right? Like, you know, like he's been a big name signing for us, all that kind of stuff, right? So I, I always love seeing him. That said, when a guy is hogging the ball too much, when he's trying to play iso ball, when he's not using the uh, the fullback nor the attacking mids or the strikers or whatever, when he's just trying to dribble it by himself into the corner every single time he gets the ball, then there's no way the other teammates can get involved. Like you cannot force somebody to pass you the ball, right? You can't take it away from him either, right? So, Mo was a cam, uh, Paris G was the left back, and Brian Wright was a striker that game, and they could not get involved because Petrasso would take the ball and run into the corner every single time. I swear to God, like, I was watching closely, he was running every single time. He's not using his support, and trust me, that's the reason why he got yanked, that's the reason why um, we conceded so many chances, and that's the reason why we haven't seen a, a minute of him since that game. I'm telling you, I'm telling you like uh, Nash... And Angus saw that, and they're like, "This guy's not using his head. He's not using his teammates. He's being—he's uh, kind of—he's playing like a, a seventeen-year-old. You know what I mean? That's like what you expect a seventeen-year-old to do. We're just kind of trying to take on everybody, beat them with pace, and not using the one-twos, or whatever. So that's why I'm like, you know, I appreciate that he tried, but there's definitely a thing where you're trying too much. You know what I mean? I—that's what I saw from Trasso. So you're right that Mo was quiet in that game, but he was frustrated. Like you could tell the team was frustrated by watching that because i've seen that for you know for example like in in my own games as well too or like if a winger's trying to do like like you know his own thing like he's playing like he's a a harlem group chart or whatever like you will frustrate your teammates right so that's what i saw from that game you're right that the next game alu and dos santos linked up so well together they were a beautiful sight to watch together they're doing the one twos the one twos that that we're missing from petrasso right I think, though, that Mo can do those one-twos just as well as Alou. And for me, I think this is a, a great problem to have. It's uh, fantastic that we have that depth at both the number 10 position and the wing position to debate who we want as uh, our starter and to even think that like Mo could be relegated to the bench. Like, you know, that was unthinkable if you asked us last season. Unthinkable. He, like we said he's like the best player in the league, right? And this is, you're not the first person to say that Mo should be relegated to the bench. And for us to have that kind of squad depth, it's amazing to have. And yet, that said, I don't think I can agree with that. Like, you know, I would not put him to the bench unless I had to because, you know, he gets uh, injured. He gets uh, suspended. He's a volatile guy, whatever, right? So naturally, you're going to have that rotation between Alou and Mo at camp anyways. But if Mo is fit, like, uh, for me, 
I mean, you could talk about trying to fit both of the guys in the lineup. I've argued that Mo can play left wing just fine. I don't think Alou is a winger. I think Alou is a pure number 10. But I believe that Mo can play number 10. I mean, no, no, no. I believe Mo can play wing as well. I think Mo at left wing would be sick and they would do great rotations. We got Dos Santos, who's never put a foot wrong. I always will back up Dos Santos. I think he's a very intelligent winger. Ricci, uh, you know, hustler, goal assist, on form, etc. Like, everybody loves him, right? Car favorite. I do think, like, you know, I don't think he can beat guys on the dribble. So I do think he's a bit limited as a winger in that sense. But you cannot deny his hustle, his uh, two-way play. Love it for sure. And then Bailliha, as a winger as well, fantastic guy, right? So we have amazing depth at wing and cam as well. I don't know if Espert, like, um, is a guy that I'd put on that same level as those guys. I don't think I would. But we have to play him because of the U21 minutes, right? So uh, it depends on whether, like, uh, Noah Batne can come back and he can uh, put some minutes in at, at the back four. It depends on the new kid, how he fits in. I think he might fit in possibly at left back. I'm not sure. I know most people want to see him at left wing or something like that or striker. We'll see how he fits in. Uh, we know Elias. He's uh, comfortable with the team. So we need those U21 minutes. I don't know if Esprit has to be the guy that has to give us the minutes when we're so stacked at wing and at camp. All right, that's it for me. All right, uh, Thomas, go ahead, man. Yeah, um, I think, like, the, the Ricci thing, he is, I think, a lot better when he's maybe off the wing and in the middle because, yeah, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but he is technically listed as more of, like, a center-forward type of guy, right? Or is he, like, made as a winger? Because I feel like he was better You're right that uh, he was, uh, you know, he went crazy for Winnipeg as a striker. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I think Nash said in the, one of the articles very recently, he said, Richie is a guy that's more naturally comfortable at the, in centrally, but we found a spot for him on the left wing this year. He said something like that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I do think that Richie is kind of going to have to play because, I like, his spirit is kind of unmatched in this team. But I think also, like, with the wingers, our fullbacks this year have been incredible like I think Ferrari especially because he has those habits of being a winger um when he does go up the pitch he can make magic happen and like we all know it obviously but like he is a real option because he completely leaves the uh the back line and I think that's why it's always good to have G as the other fullback because oftentimes, if Ferrari is going up, he's fully left, and there's going to have to be a back three. And since G has proven that he can play center back as well, that's ideal. With Jonathan Grant, you get another more offensively-minded player. Um, I think the difference between Ferrari and G when they're playing fullbacks is G kind of likes to go through the middle and like up by himself, whereas Ferrari is a better with a long pass. And I don't know exactly if maybe the team is is giving him enough chances on the ball. I think that maybe they could do more of that. Obviously, when you've got options like Baia and Ricci or like uh, DeSantos, it's hard to do that. It's hard to pick a guy. But I think Ferrari can definitely do all that and more. And as a fullback, like he really is so dynamic. And we see his effort level is always at 100. I think it's... um. Like, personally, if I were to pick one person on York to say, like, this guy is going to be 
2026 Canada, I would probably have to pick Ferrari just because of his work rate and his just, you know, he's got such a good mind for the game. And I think he really kind of, he sees it well. And he knows exactly what to do in like all these situations, which is, is, is crucial. And I think um, for the U21 minutes, I think Spreet might have to be the guy. Like he might be forced into being the guy. Um, Carson Bushman Dormand, he's not like like a batnay still has a hand injury, and I'm not totally sure that's long how long how long that's going to last. But he's had that since the Cavalry game, and that was at this point last month. So I think originally, like, because I think I asked Nashi about it, and he said, you know, he just came off because of injury, but it's like nothing serious. But it's kind of seeming like it's turned into something serious. Um, so you hope that he can come back because like if if we maybe have a U twenty one game where it's Esprit, um, Bushman Dormand and um, Abatne and maybe Himera in that, not only do I think that is very good for the U twenty one miss, I think that still gives us a very good chance to win. And if our U twenty one guys give us a chance to win, that which it should be the strategy in these signings, it can only mean um it can only mean good things. But I'll uh, hand it back over to Namu here. You know, like, uh, really great uh, points that you made about all the, the back four and the U21s as well, too, right? And uh, as you were talking about the, the back four, uh, this was the um, this was a configuration that I don't think we've seen yet that I'm kind of curious to see. And the reason I say this is because uh, we obviously lost uh, Lasana 5. You know, like, really great service as a left back. Our really, you know, our only natural left back, right? And Paris G, I know we've said this on the Discord uh, that... Uh, He's been a left back for a long time in his career, but yet I think it's very clear from the the last two games, last two three games, that even if he's you know like a, a, a left back that he's played many times and all that, you can tell that he can't bomb forward and overlap on the wing the same way that he could on the right flank, just because he is so right footed in the end. Like the way he uses his right foot still while he's playing left back. It, it doesn't allow him to bomb and cross the ball in the way that Fi or like another lefty would. So that's why I feel like, you know, for me, I'm curious to see uh, G go back to CB. I'm perfectly fine with him partnering up pass because, you know, like, uh, you know, we're still like uh, relatively divided on Roger. You know, he's putting in a couple good performances. But, uh, you know, we do know that he's, uh, you know, like... Uh, you know, like, he's a bit aggressive. Uh, he's probably, you know, lost a little bit of pace, like, compared to what he was younger and all that kind of stuff, right? So I'm totally okay to see, like, Paris and Tass in the middle. Grant put in a nice shift at right back. So how about we put Max at left back? So have Max at left, uh, Grant at right back? Because I feel like we've never seen that combo yet so far. I'm curious to see how that works because we got a lot of good fullbacks. But we can't, you know, like, fit them all at right back. We got, like, literally three guys that we uh, want to pit it at right back, right? But I think uh, Max could do a pretty good job at left because uh, he's already, like, uh, he's quite the two-footed uh, anyways. He might be able to even cross with his left foot. I'm not sure. But uh, he'll still be able to bomb forward. I feel like Paris is a really coming presence with the ball and without the ball at center back as well. So that's a proposal that I'd uh, quickly share with all you guys. But obviously, you know, the fact that we need U21 minutes means that uh, Batne, uh, at, at minimum, will have to play a role in there somewhere as well. All right. 
I mean, I think, I mean, it doesn't really seem like a lot of people in the team are kind of thinking about the U21 minutes. So I'm going to, you know, maybe think about like that, like what you mentioned is, and you mentioned a lot about like G with the dominant left foot. So I wonder maybe if we could even see something this season that's along the lines of Mordecaitis in the middle, um, Ferrari at, uh, or Ferrari or Grant at right back and then G at, like, left center back, and you have, like, a back three, and then maybe that gets another position in attack to maybe start Alu and Babuli in attack, which would be pretty audacious, and I don't really think that would work necessarily, but I think maybe also a back three could work just given the 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 presence all those guys have when they're playing defense. It might limit some of Ferrari's um, ability to move forward but the back four definitely is working right now so you know if it ain't broke don't fix it but that could be something you could do to to free up an attacking space to just keep playing all your best players up there um g also does work as a defensive midfielder i think we have seen that like we can say it for we can say it for every position that paris g has excelled in it um and it's it is truly incredible that he has um but I thought he he definitely has a connection with Mordecaitis that I think is probably maybe even makes Taz the best when G is playing right beside him. Um, you're totally right about Thompson, and he's Thompson's always a wild card in terms of what he, what's going to happen. I think recently we're seeing him like he's back in it now, um, which is amazing to see and. Uh, and and like that's that that's awesome for like everyone here, um, because he can he can be if he was healthy for a full season, I think he could be one of the league's better defenders. But it's just obviously that's plagued him a lot um, as well. Yeah, that's a lot of great points, guys. I was gonna um, make a point on the uh, defensive players and lineups we've seen. Uh, surprisingly, Thompson. Uh, has like he started the last four games have had 90 minute performances from uh, Ferrari playing the right back uh, the first three games, but he did fill in for Paris G at left back at this last game against Valor with uh, Grant on the right. And Mordecudis and Thompson have been in the center back for both for sorry, all four of the, the games. Um, Thompson didn't play at all in June, but he also started that game in Hamilton where we saw. Uh, York win two to one on the road, so that means uh, Thompson in the last five games that he started, he's been part of three wins, all of them two to one. So it shows you that he he gives and takes little. As you guys were talking about, I thought the three at the back too, with maybe uh, you know if we did Mordecudis, uh maybe G that way he's playing like center back, but like a left center back. Um, and then uh, Thompson as well. Like if you play those three, can figure out a couple of wing backs which you need. But I think you have one in uh, Clement Baia. Um, I don't know who the other wing back in that kind of formation. If you do like a three-five-two, uh, or sorry, a three-even what like <laughs> three. Three, and then if you have two holding midfielders, which Nash seems to, to really like, the wing backs, and then you can have a couple of, like, CAMs, like you're saying, having both Babuli and Alou on there, and then having one striker, which uh, we usually hope is the Rosario. 
um, <laughs> up there. Could be a, a pretty good, a pretty interesting formation. Uh, we've had uh, Samaro has pretty much steadily been starting at center uh, mid now that we've cleared up a few of those injuries at center back, which has been nice to see. Um, and there does seem to be a good amount of rotation around uh, the, the rest of the lineup there. But we're going to have to get a lot more rotation in soon for these under 21 minutes. We have 438 minutes of the required 2,000. And if my math is correct, I think we have 11 games left. So we're looking at over 1,500 minutes in 11 games. So we are pretty much going to need someone to play all 90 like we saw with Esprit, who did a pretty pretty good job of it this last game. But we're going to have to see these, uh, you know, Nico sitting to get Himaraz out there. Um, Abatne, who plays kind of, uh, I saw something recently saying he's more naturally a wing back, which surprised me because he did play center back for us. Um, we haven't really seen anything from, like, in terms of starts or, or minutes um, from Theo Afwork, but he did get, uh, as part of the new rule as of this year, that you can loan some players to League One Ontario clubs, where he did get a, a game winning goal there. Now, the interesting thing about Striker is, we, you know, we were, we've been struggling all season, sure. But July is the month where Di Rosero got two of his goals so far. And as we saw from him last year, he does get into kind of these streaks. Hopefully Di Rosero can get a brace soon. But um, hopefully Afor gets a few minutes in over Brian Wright, possibly. <laughs> um, and then uh, also uh, Carson uh, Bushman Dormand with uh, the, the new signing that like we have there. I, I'd be um, hopeful that we'd make another signing. But we're going to have to start seeing... 90 minute performances and then at least like 45 to 60 minute performances from a second player almost from here on out, which is like, it is kind of concerning, but hopefully we can make it click. I was wondering if we might consider a trade. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, Vancouver uh, who got Mikhail Kentav from Calvary, they sent back Mel Henri I think Henri qualifies for those U21 minutes, which Cavalry needed. So they kind of made a swing for that, that I wasn't sure if we were going to try, you know, I could be wrong on if he qualified for the. (laughs) Sorry. I I was just like experimenting. (laughs) That's thing called soundboard. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Try that. Uh, I thought it was so mute. So that's my fault. Uh, I was. Thomas is not a fan of the remaining U21 minutes they're going to have to play. No, I'm kidding. That was actually fun. If there's a soundboard, we're definitely going to add that to the show. Um, so U21 minutes, do you think the guys we have now can make up those minutes? Do you think that we're going to have to use a transfer window for something? Which, this has been a really quiet transfer window just for York. I'm going to, um, we're going to get into league-wide transfers in a little bit, but um, what do you think is our solution for the under 21 minutes of which we have to make up 1,562, if my quick math is correct? Uh, you know well, what? Geez, that is way more than Cooper and Valor have both, think, have both gone well over 2,000. So if we want to make a trade for one, like, you've got to go to the V teams because a, they've already reached it. So it doesn't hurt them to make a trade B their second last and last. So I think 
you look at the playoff picture, they're kind of out of it. So maybe it wouldn't hurt to bring in a piece um, to try to salvage a bit of their season and like see if they have that many minutes. Their play, their U twenty one players are good. So those teams would be the ones to approach. And given that we do have quite a bit of depth, we would have some trade bait. I'm curious to see what you guys would think um, about it, Namu. Oh, you know, I was, you, you can keep going. Like, uh, I was just raising my hand for, you know, I'll just, okay, I'll just go ahead. Like, uh, it is interesting what you guys say, said about the trade because uh, that reminds me of the trade that uh, we made last year, but it was the reverse way around because we had so many U21 minutes last year, right? So we traded away uh, Toussaint, Toussaint, uh, to Pacific, and we got uh, Baltismo back, right? And I, wasn't it that Pacific did that because uh, I don't know if they needed the U21 minutes per se, but they're definitely getting U21 minutes from Toussaint, right? So uh, that is uh, the trade that uh, you guys reminded me of basically right now. So we could totally do something similar as well. I feel like the two biggest um, positions, like the obvious hole that we have in the lineup right now is left back. But then again, like uh, I've always said that left back is the hardest position to fill on the football pitch by far. It's like such a specialized position where you need somebody who is both a lefty and comfortable in defense. And that's a really rare thing to find, right? So I'm really curious. Like, um, you know, the, the new kid, uh, Burshan, the Dortmund or something like that. I, you know, I don't know his name exactly right now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But, uh, like, everybody, you know, like, the, the, his uh, old coach uh, from Vancouver, I'm pretty sure that's what it was, uh, that was commenting on the Discord. He was like, yo, this guy's 100% a striker, maybe a left wing, right? And then, like, I think somebody else on, from uh, some other guys were commenting, yeah, he's definitely, like, a winger or something like that. Played as a striker, as a wing, like, uh, over the season, right? But the fact that the, uh, the, the transfer announcement and the, the article that came with it for York United said winger slash fullback, to me, that does tell me that I believe Angus and Nash is looking to him as a possible left back because he is a lefty, right? And I've, you know, like usually younger guys, if they get converted, they usually get converted to a fullback from being like a winger or something like that. That's like a pretty natural transition that happens. You know, best example being Alfonso Davis, right? And it happens to many other players as well. So that, to me, like, you know, I think, like, we could get, if we could get another U20 left back and have those two guys compete for that spot, I think that'd be the best way we can get, like, 90 minutes week in, week out. Because, like, we, we, like, we need, like, 150 minutes right now, right? And then for me, I think the other obvious one is uh, Elias for Nico. I think it's where we're going to have to get some minutes for sure. And I guess goalies usually don't get subbed in or subbed out, right? So you might be looking at 90 minutes for Elias, uh, a lot more often now, I think, for this uh, stretch of the season. Thomas, what's, what do you think, Matt? So, I would just want to, like, throw this out there as a potential trade. Um, le- left back, arguably one of the best left backs in the league right now. He's currently 21, and it is Mateo Di Brienne. Here's what I said. You throw in Babuli. No, 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 no sorry, not, not Babuli. Patrasso. And maybe like Raj or something for Matteo Di Brianna. Why would they take that trade, bro? Like, uh, isn't Matteo Di Brianna like ranked number one on FOTMOB right now or something? Like, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Throw more in. I, I just think that like he'd be insane. Of, of course, like, of, of course, Winnipeg knows that you gotta give Winnipeg something like amazing to get De Bruyne back in return. Like, you literally would have to start talking about, like, Mo or something like that. Would you give up Mo? Like, Mo? Sure. Now you're talking more realistic, yeah. 
like Mo and Petrasso and Raj for DBN. They're not gonna take Petrasso and Roger. They probably don't even want Petrasso or yeah. Roger. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't want. They don't, they don't want to be well, didn't uh, uh, Andrew John Batista go down injured and replace him with Roger? And then we can start the trade proposals. It'd be like Raj goes down injured, then and then John Baptiste comes back, and then he gets injured, and it's just like a constant rotation of those guys getting injured at center back. I uh, I can't Ooh. wait to see that. So so that's that's a, a very interesting point. We uh, saw a regular winger in uh, winger or midfielder in Max Ferrari make a complete switch to uh, to fullback as he plays the. Uh, Mostly the other side on the the right, but like it is a good point where um, I, it's not the first time that I've seen a article uh, kind of names a, a position they play they play the side they play a winger they play this or that um, and then gone to uh, a couple of websites or checked out their history and seen them line up somewhere completely differently. But I guess that's what coaching and all that uh, does and figure figures out excuse me but we uh we are going to need to figure out how to put yeah one or two players in very consistently per game like we really can't have any of these zero minute u21 uh minutes uh games anymore it's going to uh be, be pretty pretty hard to like if we make it up to like needing 180 per game or something that's then two full players and uh, i think a trade might be in order and yeah it might be that reverse of the two cent uh trade i i did like hussein as a player i thought he was good to average most times but he's now starting almost every time for a pacific problem is we don't really need anything in um like that defensive midfield so maybe adding to our defense would be best uh, get someone beside a couple of veterans like Morikudis there, and then I guess get Emerson uh, for some games or something like that. I'm going to talk a few more of the KNPL transfers, and then if anything comes to mind, if anything, for example, is something that we might want to look at, or um, if if you think these teams did not make the right move, because there's always transfers that come in that uh, look really good and then don't really pan out. Um, so what I have here is I did mention uh, a couple of them before we mentioned that uh, to York so far, they've signed uh, Esprit to the youth sports contract and they also signed Carson Bushman Dortmund. Um, now they also are around the league. We've also seen a Valor player go to Cavalry, a former Cavalry player go to Valor. Those are, Selimani, who used to play for Calvary two years ago, is now with Valor. And William Akio, an exciting player for Valor, is now with Cavalry. Um, in addition to those, we have uh, Vancouver SC. They signed Alejandro Diaz, who is uh, top, one of the top scorers in KNPL history. Last year's Golden Boot winner with Pacific. Signs for the other BC team. Already has goals and goals with because he scored in more than one, even though they did lose pretty bad. Um, he still, you know, got on the score sheet and is scoring for them. Um, Vancouver also signed Ren- Renan Garcia, who was like 37 
Uh, they make fun of him a lot on Footy Prime. Kind of not sure of why they brought him in, but maybe Vancouver is is going a different uh, route on their way uh, for the rest of the season. And a really big signing for Halifax Wanderers, Daniil Henry, not just signed for this year, but next year. And there are a couple more signings I didn't include there, but what has uh, has struck you as interesting from those signings? For me, real quick, the fact that, uh, you know, all these signings are big too, right? But the fact that Halifax is also getting Morelli back from uh, a year-long uh, injury is going to be massive for them if he can even regain, like, uh, uh, I don't know, 80 90% of his form. And I'm sure he's raring to go. He seems like he's, like, really got, like, good spirits. Uh, he's, like, seems to be really loving Halifax and all that. So, uh, you know, like, if, uh, yeah, like, with Donnell Henry and the Morelli adding to that squad, like, it's definitely a team that we got to watch out for sure. Right, uh, I don't even know. Like, um, if uh, I don't know if Morelli's made the bench. I think he's made the bench, right? I don't know if we're he, gonna see him. You know, he's he has played. Uh, they subbed him in on the Halifax against Ottawa game because he had a, he's got uh, really really bright bleach blonde hair. So he'll look <laughs> like that when we see him uh, come to York Line Stadium this Sunday for that two p.m. game. So. We're going to see those, you know, that's a, a great shout, Namu, as well. I was, uh, you know, hoping that um, we might get a few more Halifax games under our belt before we played him because he's he's a bit of a York killer. He scored against us a few years. I remember the home opener in 2022 on, I think, what was a rainy day. I remember Morelli scoring the penalty in front of us in that 1-0 game that we lost tore his ACL the next game in Ottawa, which you never want to see because any exciting young, young talent that comes to this league, you know, you do want to see them ball out, just not against York United. So hopefully against Halifax, we don't see either uh, Henry or Morelli do really well and ball out, but they have other players like Nimick to worry about as well. But uh, any other uh, transfers that you've seen? I think Forge just signed a player. I don't uh, have his name handy either but there's uh any any other signings like what about us and uh other teams like uh valor and other like, i think pacific kind of being quieter so far like i'm am i am i kind of crazy for wondering why we haven't maybe made a a bit of a splash signing or is this team like just not gonna do that this year in my opinion we made a few splash signings in the off season to be fair whereas like last year we made some splash signings mid-season and I think we're in a much better place because we don't have to make the mid-season like splash signings also there's two ones like that I really love that um I think first of all the Renan Garcia one, you can make fun of him for being old and like kind of like random signing, but like I think he could be quite good. In that first game against Ottawa, that ball he swung in for Alejandro Diaz was perfect. And I think Vancouver, they really need a leader on defense. And we saw Ottawa how this worked when Zapater comes in and immediately everything just clicks and you know, maybe Bassett can play more free in midfield because Zapater will cover him. I think Renan Garcia will be covering a lot of uh, of ground back there for Vancouver. Um, and I think that's really going to help them. Also, I do think that the 
Salamani signing for Valor will be big for them because they need someone to score. Kean Williams can. He's just not doing it as much as he could have. If Kean Williams put like had the same chances he did against York, but was just like a bit better, it could have been like four two for Valor and he could have had a hat trick. And there's no doubt in my mind. The service that he'll uh, that Salamani will get from Gallic Nyonga Bayer or like Uloa um will really help him and then out of the midfield Gutierrez as well. Um so I think that's a really good signing. The Akio one does not really make sense to me because at Cavalry you have someone tied for the golden boot in Meyer Bevan. So I just don't understand and Ali Musi too, and then Gote and Tinyi. So it to me it's just like this which I'm gonna guy that scored and like this like scored consistently in Scotland. I don't see why Cavalry would just like bench him. Like obviously they have like different plans for him, but for me he just does not break into this cavalry team, like to be honest. Um and the Daniel Henry signing is obviously like massive for so many reasons and I'm like I'm it's wild that that actually did happen and I am um I'm very happy it did. And to, to see Danielle Henry and Jamarelli at your client's stadium on Sunday is even going to add to the occasion of it it being a, a big match. Let me uh let me answer that last one for you first. Uh the reason they signed Akio is because yo I I don't know who was playing on the other flank opposite uh Ali Musi, but they just got a crazy top 3 now by adding Akio to the uh, that uh top 3 with uh, him Bevan and uh Musi. That's why. That's the reason why they signed them because before it was just like it was those two guys, but now you got three of those guys and they're going to go crazy. So in my opinion, like I think that's the team to watch out for sure now. That's what I'd say. But uh uh, Thomas, great shout out on uh, Alberto Zapater because, uh, you know, uh, for me, I've been following La Liga as much as I've been following the Premier League for the last, I don't know, 20 years or something like that, right? And Alberto Zapater is probably the biggest name for sure that's uh, like a non-Canadian that I've seen in the CPL by far. Like Zapater is a guy I've heard about like since, I don't know, 2009 or something like that, like for Zaragoza, right? Big name for sure. So no, this is uh, pretty sick that uh, Otto got him. So respect to them for that. Uh, the one guy I was gonna like, uh, you know, ask a question about is is uh, Alejandro Diaz because for me, man, the fact that uh, you know he was uh, so amazing for Pacific, and now he's coming to Vancouver, but then the t- clubs are owned by the same six five. To me, I'm gonna call a little bit. I'm gonna call that out a bit. I'm gonna say like, you know, there's some funny shenanigans. Pretty sus, on. if you call, yeah. if you ask me. Is, Pretty sus. When I saw that, I was like, how? Oh, okay, okay, what's happening? <laughs> So that's what inter- I'm going to call out. Interclub movement. Uh, yeah, so yeah, great calls. I, I didn't uh, shout out the Ottawa signings. They got uh, Del Campo, I think, who's a who's been up there, striker with uh, with Shaw, and then they're like central midfield slash defensive midfield as Apatera. Two really big signings as Ottawa look to turn it around. The league, uh, uh, just to bring up the like league uh, table right now and just how close things are really, is um, we got on 27 points leading things as Cavalry, so kind of a new leader because Pacific have been a little bit cold lately. So Pacific are on 26 points. 
Uh, next up are Forge, also on 26 points, and the goal difference is uh, uh, 8 for Pacific and 4 for Forge. Uh, we have a minus 4 goal difference, but we're on 24 points. Now, all four of those teams that make up the top four all have seven wins. So it is a uh, really, really close battle all the way through. Um, Calvary and Pacific, who are first and second, also have a game in hand. So they're doing well just kind of in a regular standing sense, but also have a game in hand there. So we'll see if they can keep it up. So you got those, again, Calvary Pacific, then you got Forge York United. Right behind us, two points behind us, making this Sunday's game a huge one, is uh, HFX Wanderers. Um, they also have a better goal difference than us. I mean, if, if it weren't for the Forge game, we'd be on even. They're at, at zero even. Atletico are only three points behind us as well, and one game behind us, uh, or sorry, one game to make up on 21 points. So those teams are going to be competing heavily. Uh, don't want to discount Valor or Vancouver because, again, those teams still have games uh, in hand on us, technically, so they would be a little bit closer in points. But they're just a little bit below the pack, and they've been pretty cold lately. So the, the two VFCs aren't worrying anyone as much. And, and like you guys were saying earlier, if they uh, hopefully – want to improve their team a bit, they see a veteran on our team they like, maybe we can make a swap and grab one of their young players. I think DeBrienne, I think, is a uh, – he's a bit of a U21 player of the year candidate, so it might be tough to pry. I think yeah. an equally tough one might be like – I was like, oh, I really like Vancouver's James Cameron. Once again, I'm like, I don't see them maybe parting with a player they like enough to keep. Yeah. would yeah. be great to add them, but – I think, they want to get rid of them. Yeah, uh, my bad for shouting out a guy like Dubai. I just could not think of anyone in the moment when Nami said left back. I was just immediately just try to like the best possible outcome brought gone to my head and like him doing like a when is like the backflips of York Line save and the blue and green would be like insane. But um, Vancouver and you know what they they like they need any defensive player. So I think that just given um, because you know they they have been letting in a lot of goals. So Garcia is not going to do it all. Bakari is not going to do it all. So a central defender, whether it is a midfielder or um, or a center back, would be someone that they would probably look for. We have four holding midfielders. Like that's fine and all and I think like Daniel Lapare can also you know go upfield a bit and obviously Sumaro has scored a couple times this year one of which uh, more particularly memorable so he kind of has to stay but um, I don't know if we're going to really need or be utilizing all four of those guys so trade one to Vancouver have them pair up with Renan Garcia then you know we'll get a U21 back and I think that would be that would be very big for us to be we, we can't forget Vancouver does have Caden Chung on their roster, but he's been injured for a long time. So they they might even be looking for uh, for someone to, to to help back there because for all we know, he might not even be coming back this year, which would be, uh, which would really suck. Like, I mean, I don't know if we can, you know, pick out like a left bag from Vancouver or anything, but um, maybe uh, going the other way, I mean, I don't think they're not getting rid of TJ Deheat or uh, James Cameron. So a guy like would N- Nikki Gima 
Gima, I don't I think he was in the Cantabe deal. He'd be a midfielder. I'm not totally sure if he's more like attacking or or something like that. Maybe Namu might know. But um a guy like a guy like that, maybe for us we could do a defender for defender, but maybe we get more of a backline person in return for a, a defensive midfielder. My quick point was would be that uh you know the whole league and their moms know that uh, we need U21 minutes badly, Canadian U21 minutes. So clearly, like any trade that we make, you're going to have to give up a better player for sure than the player that we get back, right? You know, that's just the way the, uh, the, the bargaining and the negotiations are going to work. So yeah. we're probably going to get fleeced a little bit uh, if we have to do that trade. But uh, I have no idea. Like, you know, like right now it's the summer. So, you know, there might be a whole bunch of... Uh, Players uh, in Europe or something like that, their seasons are over uh, and they might be intrigued. You know, just like how uh, Borschman, Borschman Dortmund uh, has been enticed to come back, right? How like Krat was enticed to come back, whatever. So there's a ton of uh, Canadians in Europe as well that could come back to Canada as well if we, we guarantee them like a uh, starting minister or something like that, right? So there's a lot of options out there, you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Or, and a few League One Ontario guys just I see them on the team of the week every single week and you gotta wonder that, you know, if they're especially in their early twenties th- early uh early twenties and wanna see you know, give the CPL a run. Another thing is uh as well to, to bring up with James Cameron and TJ Tahid made me think of it, is a, a pretty new rule that's only about a week or so old is the I think it's the exceptional Ruler development, or I, you know, obviously don't know the name of it as the host of this podcast. It allows you, instead of the 23 regular players that you get on the roster right now, you can have two more roster spots of under eight, under 18 Canadian players. So Forge has, I think, Kane that, that qualified for that, and uh, Vancouver FC is two players. So when the league announced that this is a new rule, they announced that you know these players already qualify for that, in which case that's pretty much two more roster spots for, for young players. So with the League One Ontario season ending and, and playoffs kind of ending uh, in August here, um, you wonder if that's maybe another opportunity if they're looking young. It, it's really funny to see York go from in 2021 and 2022, a team that just dominated those U21 minutes and was really getting them steadily to just Angus flipping the switch and saying, nope, we're going with these veterans. We're going to sign a bunch of CPLs from other teams and go in a different way. Um, and we are a little bit better in the table, but the table's so volatile that in two weeks from now, we could be sixth place or we could be first place and looking at winning the league. So what do you guys think? It's uh, great that you brought up that new uh, roster, uh, the two roster spots that uh, became available as of uh, last week. Because I want to say uh, our group chat for York United, the two topics that goes our group chat that makes our group chat go crazy this year, no matter who brings it up, whenever, is uh, hey, you know, we should uh, increase the roster from twenty three to twenty five, and hey, the U twenty one rule has to be changed or scrapped, or whatever, right? That's like the two, two topics that makes everybody go crazy all the time. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sick of seeing it, right? So that rule definitely tackles at least the, 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 you know, the 23 spots to 25 spots part. So I'm happy they did that. And uh, yeah, definitely, uh, uh, York should definitely take advantage of that. You know, it doesn't count to the salary cap. You get a couple of U, uh, U18 kids, uh, whether from Legal Ontario, whether you raid the, uh, the TS Academy, whatever. There's uh, possibilities, endless possibilities, right? 
So definitely hope that we take advantage of that rule for sure. And, you know, like you guys were talking about earlier, like, you know, we haven't made a splash, um, like a big splash uh, this uh, transfer window yet. But nothing's over till the, uh, the you know, the, the fat lady sings, right? You know, nothing, you know, we can't judge until the uh, transfer windows are closed shut, right? So I'm sure Angus is working the phones behind the scenes. He's working the emails behind can the scenes. Yeah, you can get a snack. <laughs> and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure we'll hear something about it. Because, you know, we got Mo last summer and it changed the fortunes of our squad, right? So, you know, you never know what can happen. You never know what crazy trade can happen or what crazy signing can happen. Thomas. My thing is like I don't know what type of crazy signing you'd get because I'm I'm like obviously you can prove like a lot of players in this team but I I don't really know exactly who you take out because I just all of them we've kind of like this year I feel like this like this team it it does seem like it is a contender so I feel like for each player we sort of like them for their own reasons so like personally it would be hard to maybe even if it is for the greater good, if you bench a guy like, if you have to bench a guy like DeSantos or, or Ricci, that would like really suck, I think. Um, but also, we have less U21s, but like, I, w- I will say this, because we have less U21s, um, we are going to be in much better shape to stay strong through a whole season because we've, like, these are guys with, like, veteran experience in, like, big like leagues from like uh, in America or like Daniel Lapare, he's like a, a very experienced pro in um in the CPL too. So I think and especially come if, if we do make the playoffs, especially come then, uh if like if we are there, it's gonna be much more well suited to going further and sustaining a good season as opposed to maybe falling off a bit, maybe being a bit more spotty in like the record. Um, also, I'll keep saying this, and he was profiled in Derby, which sounds like I'm on the hug train, but ever since I saw him play, it was in a double header at YLS, um, and he was called up for Vaughn, and he plays for your clients at Sammy Sebaduka, and he is a left back, and he's 18, and he is incredible, and we need to sign him. Because it, w- it would be, like, such a great story. Like, a York player, like, a York University player playing for York United. Um, and I think also we just give us a great chance to win. He needs to bulk up a bit, I think. Um, but, like, to play a professional defensive role. Um, but, you know, like, he'll have the speed. Uh, Namu, go ahead. I've definitely heard his name before. And, uh, you know, you and uh, Jason and uh, some of the other guys in our group, uh, you guys literally, uh, okay, maybe not yourself, but Jason here and a couple other guys literally work in League One Ontario as uh, match day coordinators or social media coordinators or whatever, right? So you guys, like, you know, you guys know this league uh, really well, right? And then we got uh, other guys in here like uh, Mike, for example, like uh, I know he knows League One Ontario very well. And, you know, like, uh, uh, for example, you know, Massimo Farron, you know, like we talked about him all year last year and you know we all knew he you know he's supposed to come to cpl sooner or later and he did and he's killing it now right so for sure anytime you know you see a guy killing in uh legal ontario you know he's gonna make that jump to cpl and the uh we're hoping that since you know we obviously got the by far the biggest connection to legal ontario here in the gta like you'd hope that we were kind of like on the ball when it comes to those things but then of course we had that conversation before where like we kind of lost the connection to some of the local clubs uh, you know, like uh, because you know, like 
all you know our top staff they aren't native gta dudes right they're coming from like outside of gta right so they don't have that like deep long-lasting connection to the uh the coaches at the league with ontario uh clubs right so we do get actually penalized a bit you know like for example like you know patrice uh Geishar, or however you pronounce his name at halifax he's got that deep connection to vaughn and he's able to convince the the vaughn guys to come to halifax instead of york united right so it is a battleground, you know, like everybody's scouting legal interior to the max. So we're definitely hoping that we can get those guys, but it's not a guarantee that we're going to get him. But yo, for sure, I hope we get that York University player. Did you say he plays in a legal interior as well? Which club does he play for, you said? Vaughn? Vaughn, right? He's like a total, like, Carmine Sacco uh, ball uh, because he plays for York University, but then also um, he will get, like, called up often for Vaughn. And obviously, Vaughn, we know, like, the culture successor. But it also, I will say, it would be crazy if a guy like Carmine Isacco became a CPL coach because so much talent would immediately go to that team because he's produced a lot of great players in, in the GTA. And, you know, we've talked a ton about him, obviously, because uh, he was our assistant back in 2019 and uh, he was rumored for so long to become our next head coach uh, back in 2020. So in 2021, right? So, you know, we've talked a bunch, a ton about Carmine and we see him at YLS all the time as well, right? Uh, that said, the situation right now, I think the, um, the, you know, I, we can say this because I think it's public. I think we've heard that, uh, you know, like, uh, no, you know what? We've heard different things. I've heard both, uh, positive and negative things about the relationship between, uh, Angus and Carmine. So, you know, actually, you know, we're kind of conjecturing really, but, uh, you know, we can only guess what that relationship is like. We'd love to know more about that. But uh, at the uh, core, like we're definitely competing at the minimum with uh, Halifax, obviously, for the Vaughn players. But uh, if you were asked this, this this question in 2019, I think we had like two or three Vaughn guys that was playing for York 9 FC at the time because Carmen was our assistant coach. So we definitely had that strong connection before that we kind of lost. That's, uh, that's awesome stuff, uh, guys. Thank you very much. We... Uh... The show's going a bit longer, but we're having good stuff, too. So we'll keep it going for just a few more minutes, and we're going to give one more topic uh, the last few minutes here. And it's, a, it's an exciting one, as we have just passed game 17, so we're a little bit past the midseason. Let's look at some of our midseason MVPs. So we are going to look at in both a, I as in a under 21 sense because that's how we like to give out our awards to supporters but you can also give out your mvp on defense in midfield on striker wherever you want or just in general um now i'm going to start off uh the the discussion of a couple of mvps i think i'm going to start this off with the u21 mvp is totally still up in the air if there's any year that it's been up for grabs, it is this year. Um, unfortunately, our minutes leader, Marky, is out for the season, and he scored our first goal but didn't really make a huge impact. But as a young player, he didn't really have to in his first year. He just more gets oriented to everything. Um, and then we've seen uh, Abatne make a few minutes like 90 100 minutes something like that so again a, a few minutes um but yeah i was i was 
had uh, no idea until you mentioned it earlier, Thomas, that he was herpy. He's not been on the bench since he got subbed off in that Calvary game. So he's been um, obviously dealing with a bit of an injury there. Um, so I think U21, when it comes to that, hopefully we can see Esprit really take the, the reins there and make that his own because in August is when August and September is when we're going to see whoever is our U21 leader really make the difference there. Um, I think if we look at our overall MVPs, um, a name that was our, uh, one of our top players of the year um, last year that has been doing pretty good this year is Nico G. Um, there's been more than a few games where we definitely got points on the board because of Nico doing well. And uh, hopefully he's been teaching a lot to uh, Himaras, who can cover a lot of the U21 minutes here on out because he's going to get some more of the starts. Um, for someone that's also played a lot of the game that's only missed this past game because he had a yellow card accumulation suspension is Paris G. He's played all over the field. He's played center back, right back, left back, and center midfield, depending on the game. 90-minute performances almost every time. He's got a few assists, I believe, and he's been crushing as well. I think Casper Kudis on defense has been doing well. Hasn't played the whole season, but ever since he came in, our defense has been lighting it up. But the real star of our team, I think, has been uh, more on offense. But again, there's been no clear MVP to me on attack other than maybe number 10, Osama Alou, who kind of plays uh, a quieter game in one sense, and he doesn't score a whole lot of goals. I think he has two goals on the season, but Alou has really great distribution. I think he is a smart player in what he does with the ball. Um he has a pretty good, you know, just looking at his record beside Babuli's, we tend to do pretty good when Alou is playing. Um, he also plays a bit of center midfield when we're seeing injuries to Gagnon Apare, Baldissimo happening at the same time, and Bram had to fill in on defense. Uh, we did see um, Alou play a bit of center back as well. Um, it's tough for me to point out any of our strikers or attackers as a clear MVP D-Rose got three goals, but has been scoring a lot. I'm not going to say anything about Brian Wright at all. Um, come on, Bay has been okay, but hasn't played a whole ton. And it seems we have a lot of rotation on wingers. But who do you guys think might be a midseason MVP or might really turn it on in the second half of the season? I really like the names that you brought up, man. I really like them because uh, I agree with you that there's – not been one uh, single, like, clear, like, uh, cut-above candidate for midseason MVP for me, you know? But all the names that you mentioned, I feel like you've named the guys that are uh, not really been talked about. Because I feel like the guys that, the crowd favorites, to me, would be definitely uh, Paris G and Austin Ricci. I know those guys are the crowd favorites. And then maybe Brem as well. I want to say those three guys are the crowd favorites, and for good reasons. They hustle their ass off. They give their all out. It's clearly obvious to see, and I love their play. But, you know, for me, I'm always that kind of guy that likes to uh, highlight the guys that, uh, that go uh, unnoticed or the guys that we don't talk about as much. Because, you know, like, you know, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's boring talking about the guys that already other people are talking about, right? So, I feel like you've already named them. You know, like, um, I think, um, okay, so Tass, you mentioned. Tass is always going to be up there, no matter what. Nico, people, don't, people are actually talking about him less than last year, but I think he's actually been better this year. 
Um, I want to say the center mid has been really strong. Brem, you know, like uh, you know, like, like I mentioned, like you know, he's crowd favorite. But JGL and Baldissimo have both been very, very effective. Really solid guys, and I feel like uh, we haven't seen uh, a mid for York United that strong since like 2019 or something like that. So I'm loving our mid because these guys don't put a foot wrong. Uh, at the wings, uh, I think um, you know, like Richie is the crowd favorite, but I do feel like Baez, yeah, he's uh, spectacular in some like in some games, but then he's inconsistent in other games. But I think Kevin Dos Santos, man, like you know. I'm always the guy that has to defend him the most. I'm like, you know, I'm like the his like vice president of his fan club because Kyle is obviously the, the president of his fan club. But Dos Santos, I don't care what the stats say or whatever, man. That guy is so smart. Like maybe he might not like, you know, beat guys like uh, all the time and stuff like that, but he keeps holding the ball and he makes the right decisions. And him and Alu combining have given us some of our best attacking play this season. And that's the kind of stuff that is sustainable. You know what I mean? Because like, if you're getting, if you're beating guys one on one or hustling, you know, that to me is like not sustainable. You can't do that week in week out like ninety minutes. But when you're combining and making smart plays, that shit to me is sustainable. So I'm saying Alu and Dos Santos are the guys to look out for for the second half, uh, for myself. And the Brian Wright man, <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm gonna say it only because nobody else is gonna say it. You know, like the guy is snake bitten for sure. Uh, I do think he works harder than people give him credit for. I think he's very good at connecting the plays. He's a very good like an orchestrator as a striker, and that is something that coaches appreciate and the teammates appreciate a lot. Where you can give him the ball, and he'll uh, make sure to give it to somebody who's in a better position if he needs to. It's just that his finishing has been fucking shit. That's why. Okay, if finishing was if he could finish half the chances that he had, we would be loving this guy. But he's uh, been missing them all, and that's why everybody's piling on his ass. But uh, Brian, I still see like the uh, good parts in your game. But I mean, Dero's scoring now, so yeah, Dero's gonna get the starting spots, deservedly so. All right, Thomas, what you got? Uh, I'm gonna say like so for me, what I'm like judging. So so for for the supporters, what it is is supporters player of the season, right? Which just means who is the best player. But if we're talking about MVP, we're saying who's the most valuable player to this team. For me, the most valuable player. Uh, has to be Nico because the amount of times Nico has saved us is, is like it is incredible. And I'm gonna be honest, the team lets him down a lot with the amount of chances that get to him, the amount of work that he has to do. He should not have to do all that. I will say it right now. He should not have to do all that. And I kind of feel bad that he's forced into doing all this because there are games where he really carries us. G super close second, and I think, um. Paris is so valuable to us because he fills the cracks and he fills the holes. He played every single minute aside from two in stoppage time up until this last game against Valor. That is uh, 16 games where he did play 90 minutes. Like uh, That's something in a variety of positions at fullback, both fullbacks, at center back, at defensive midfield. So he's a very close second. But I think in terms of who... If if we if you removed one player from this team, uh, and the team ended up considerably worse, it would be Nico because he saves us in so many situations. I don't even think Ali Jimenez is that bad, but Nico is, for me, one of the best goalkeepers in the league. I'm gonna tell you right now, he won't get the recognition that he deserves because of, we'll say, a pretty unflattering goal differential. 
But if you watch any York game, you will know that he is the guy that is keeping them in the game. And then uh, if I had to pick an offensive guy to, uh, to, to be considered for this, um, I would I, – it's tough. I would – like DeSantos, Naimu, great, great points about DeSantos. He's for sure up there. Um, I, I think I think Ricci's been good, but I think he 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 just has been good. I don't think he's like been too outstanding. He's just been doing a job every game, which is so valuable. Um, I mean, I think yeah, maybe you do look at Alou. It's just when he's relegated to the holding midfielder, it it doesn't really work. Um, I mean, I think. I think, you know, our process of elimination would be DeSantos, but in my opinion, our MVP, our most valuable player of the season is on defense. Our player of the season should be on defense. Probably goes to, like, yeah, if, if you just pick, like, who's been playing the best. Maybe a guy like Mordecai. Maybe a guy even, like, Ferrari. I mean, every week, it seems. He's doing something great. Um, Yeah, the holding was too, like... Like, Baldissimo is a very good shout. Actually, I will say Baldissimo is a very good shout. Um, Sumaro, just for the memories, I think we can all say that the York streets will never forget Sumaro, um, which, and, you know, whenever you get a player like that, it's like, it is awesome. Um, but yeah, I'd say MVP is Nico, but I think the best player for us this year is either G or Ferrari. That's that's awesome, and a lot a lot of good things to say about a few of our players. And it's not that um, there's it's not like we can't you know settle on whose uh, consensus MVP is being a bad thing sometimes because you want the team to work together, and maybe sometimes pretty good every week. And yeah, as someone that does like the tries to figure out the the ratings and point together the the uh, player of the week, we have seen a lot of variation as it goes. Seems like guys have pretty good months, like uh, Ferrari, um, has Ferrari, and uh, like Babuli and stuff, like doing decent in um, in June versus Samaru having an unreal May. Uh, Austin Ricci having a good early month and then, and then being good recently. Um, I think a theme of this is that it's really up for grabs if a player really wants to take it and um, dominate and, and his teammates can help him out in the same way that that person can pick up our, uh, our MVP. Um, and another thing, too, I think when we select our supporters player of the month, um, it always goes to someone that you know makes their way over to the supporters. You know, is really... Um, being friendly, saying hi, signing autographs and taking pictures and stuff like that. That always gets people uh, points in in some ways as well because that's how, you know, some people, it's the impact they make on the field and some people it's the impact they make off of it. Um, so thank you for everyone for, for listening. We've uh, almost hit an hour and a half here, but we've had a lot of great topics. But anything you want to say to sign off, uh, not to to rush anyone if you have any points you want to make we'll chat them to end the show but uh any concluding points as we end june and we go into august yeah uh guys when you're happy both on spaces and in the season because we only have 11 games left which is pretty shocking but uh 
schedule is a bit more spread out now. And um, go to YLS because big game this Saturday. Plus, you will get to watch Danielle Henry play. Which Sunday. Is- <laughs> <laughs> we got a uh, yeah big game this uh, Sunday <laughs> at 2 p.m. Eastern. First of a double header at York Lions Stadium where we are first hosting um, – Halifax Wanderers at 2 p.m. and then at 4:30. I was hoping I'd remember the teams by the time I said it. Said I thought it was Woodbridge Strikers against the Lions, but now I'm thinking it's someone against Sigma. <laughs> Alliance Sigma is that it? Would it be uh, uh, Alliance? My I, think I don't know. No, no, guys. United Academy versus Woodbridge. Ah, oh yeah, yes. sorry, it's not League One. See, I knew I said Woodbridge has yeah. Sorry, so this is a academy game. This is not a League One doubleheader. It's the U. It's the U seventeen York United Academy right. who uh, have joined us as well at some of the games and some of the Pyrex. So we want to support them at their four thirty game as we host the Woodbridge Strikers at York Lions Stadium. Um, if you are a true football fiend and want to support. The, uh, the not really loved by a lot of York United fans, but we understand there is some crossover. Toronto FC also hosts Atlas in the League Cups that same night. So if anyone wants to be a real fiend and go to three games that night, they certainly can. I, I don't know if you can get to York Lions Stadium to, to BMO Field uh, if you see the entire League One game. Uh, again, sorry, League One game. Sorry, the entire U17 um See, I say League One all the time because that's all the he- double headers so far, which I've been to all the double headers so far. The um, U17's game. Go ahead and name it. The uh, last two points I was going to make was uh, uh, two points. The first one was uh, that uh, the double header is a great segue into the quick discussion that the, uh, the partnership that uh, Genoa has signed with the uh, Yorkinet Academy. Uh, so they made that official announcement uh, a few weeks ago, right? So really great news for our academy, first of all, uh, for getting that partnership with Genoa, Serie A club, big, big club for sure, right? But that's also fed in into like possible ownership uh, rumor talks as well because uh, Genoa is owned by uh, 777 Partners, I believe. Uh, and that is like a multi-club uh, uh, owner uh, that owns uh, clubs in uh, Paris. Uh, uh, in, uh, I think they have like partner ownership in Sevilla or something like that, I forget. Uh, I think the club in Germany as well too. Like they got clubs like all over the uh, the European continent. So this is like really exciting news for us for sure. Even just having that general connection. But we'll see what comes out of that for the senior side. So uh, something to keep an eye on. But the uh, the last point, a little quick fun point I'd make is that uh, if we were to pick our supporters player of the year based on who interacts with the uh, the supporters the most after the game, then that's a no doubter. That's going to be either Nico or Paris G. 100% for sure. Those guys always come to uh, the, the, the supporter stand, uh, win or lose or whatever. Uh, they're such a friendly guys, uh, such a great guys to talk with uh, after the game. And the shout out to uh, Max as well too, who's always up there as well. So yeah. Yeah, really great stuff, man. Yeah, I definitely agree. Those, those guys are there. Hopefully more people come out. And if you're listening to this and you're still 90 minutes in plus and you're listening to this, um, and you want to uh, do a little something special that I won't spoil too much of, just send me a direct message saying, hey, how do I, you know, 
do this thing. Uh, the due date is Friday, so there's not much turnaround, but we're doing a little something that hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, because I don't want to spoil it too much. But this has been episode four of Shoes Off for the Blue and Green. Thank you for joining. I'm your host, Jason. I've been joined by Namu and Thomas as well. And we will see you in August for episode five. See you Sunday, York Lions Stadium. We're going to be Halifax. We're going to show Janiel Henry that this is no minor league after all. Sign us off, Namu. <laughs> come on, you nice stripes, yo. <laughs> Woo, come on, you nice stripes. Have a good night, everybody. Have a good one, man. Bye.